Welcome to the Page Master Podcast, a podcast that brings you wisdom and knowledge, which is the stability of our times and the strength of our salvation. In each episode, we deliver undiluted truth that will shape your perspective and empower you with the keys of the kingdom. If you want something sugar-coated, get a donut. Now, here's your host, Adams Allison. Hello and welcome to our podcast. As the scripture says, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. What we want to do with this podcast is use wisdom and knowledge to establish people so that they are stable in difficult times and that they are strong in the salvation that we have received from Christ Jesus. And the fear of the Lord is his treasure, says the scripture. We want to give people the treasure of the fear of the Lord. Today we're going to be discussing an important parable. One of the things we do on our platform is help people tackle difficult passages of scripture, help them understand it, help them see how practical and how applicable it is to their own personal life and their corporate uh, life. So this parable happens to be a parable that addresses the end times. And this question has come from several people to us and we're trying to answer them in such a way that you can digest it. So we're going to break this uh, passage into uh, little bits so that you can easily comprehend it. So the parable of the ten virgins or the parable of the wise and foolish virgins appears in the book of Matthew chapter 25 from verse 1 to 13. What we're going to do in this podcast is break it down into eight different parts or eight different topics. The first is going to be who are the ten virgins. Second will be why do they go forth to meet the bridegroom. Third we're going to discuss is the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins. The fourth point is going to be the significance of the sleep and why they all slept. The fifth point is the midnight cry. The sixth, the separation of the wise virgins from the foolish virgins. The wise go to meet the bridegroom and the foolish go to find more oil. Then the seventh point will be the return of the bridegroom. And the eighth will be rounding off the entire parable. What are the lessons learned and all of that. So today, we're going to take the first point. Who are the ten virgins? From this scripture, we know the principle of understanding scripture is the Bible interprets itself. A scripture throws light on another scripture and then we gain understanding. The book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 tells us that the church is a chaste virgin. Paul was talking to this church and tells them that he is jealous for them with godly jealousy, for he has portrayed them to one husband that he may present them as a chaste virgin to Christ. That tells us that the church is the virgin spoken of in this parable. So the ten virgins are symbolic of the church. It's a parable, so they are symbols. And the symbols have real actual meaning. The actual meaning for this symbol is the church. And um, something important about these virgins, is, these ten virgins, is the purity. 
Notice that they are all virgins, meaning they are all pure. The book of Revelation chapter 14 gives us that idea when it talks about the 144,000. In verse 4, it says this. These are the ones who we are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from amongst men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So you see, they are redeemed. These are believers. These are not Jews. These are not um, unbelievers. These are actually believers. These are Christians. These are, this is the church of God. And the first point it mentions in this verse of Revelation is that they were not defiled. So we're not talking about sinners here. We're not talking about church people who are impure. We're speaking about foolish and wise virgins. So the first thing we see about this parable is the subject matter. The people in focus here are the ten virgins. They are wise virgins and they are foolish virgins. Five are wise, five are foolish. The second thing we see about them is that we can contrast them with another parable. In the parable of the faithful servant and the evil servant recorded in the book of Luke chapter 12, in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 48, we see another parable, a similar parable, but this time around, the subject matter is about two different groups of servants, not wise or foolish this time around. This time around, the two of them are classed as the foolish servant and the evil servant. So what we see here is that there is the larger group of believers. There are people who are going to be faithful, there are people who are going to be evil amongst the brethren, amongst the church. Now, amongst the faithful, these are the ones being referred to in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. In this Matthew 25, they are all faithful. But in the midst of the faithful, there's still a subcategory again, the wise and the foolish. So you see, with each level, there's a new uh, criteria that makes a distinction between uh, the entire group. So God is saying, as believers, he expects us all to be faithful. But there are those who are not going to be faithful. They're going to be evil. Now, amongst those who are now faithful, who have crossed that bridge, who have overcome evil, they're all chosen to be faithful. Among this group, God is expecting a higher standard of devotion to him. And he classifies it as wisdom. Now, it happens to be that not everybody will be wise among this faithful group. So there's the faithful. Amongst the faithful, there's wise and foolish. So we can call them the top percentile. The top percentile in this group are the wise virgins. And our prayers be part of that, to be part of this group. So we need to study this to understand what are the characteristics of these wise virgins and how can we differentiate ourselves from the foolish virgins. All right? So moving on, we need to establish another point. The judgment or the end result of the evil servant is not the same as the end result of the foolish servant. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 46. This is the same um, parable of uh, the faithful and evil servant. The faithful servant and the evil servant. So speaking about the evil servant, look at what the Bible says here. Verse 46. Say, the master of that servant will come on that day when he is not looking for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Do you see that? He will be appointed his portion with the unbelievers. Meaning the same judgment that will face unbelievers is the same that will face the evil servant. He's, he, he, he gave his life to Christ in the beginning, but he ended up becoming an evil servant and he lost his place with Jesus. 
But the foolish virgin is not facing the same punishment. The fate of the foolish virgin cannot be the same as that of an unbeliever just because he's foolish. He's still faithful. What defines a believer is faith, or rather faithfulness. As long as you're faithful, you're secured in the promise of God. So we are not discussing damnation in this um, parable of the ten virgins. We're discussing maturity and accuracy. All right, so we finished with the first point. Now let's go to the second point so we can dig deeper, breaking down this same verse 1. In verse 1, we not only see that there are 10 virgins, we also see that they go forth to meet the bridegroom. This is very important, and I don't want to go into the Jewish traditional uh, aspect of this parable. There's much to be said about this that relates to the Jewish culture, but I want to focus on the prophetic aspect of this parable. Now, it says they go forth to meet the bridegroom. What does it mean to go forth to meet the bridegroom? There is a lot packed in this uh, short phrase or this short line, and I want us to be able to unpack it and enjoy the riches of God's wisdom in this um, passage. Listen, if you go to the book of Hebrews, the same language is used. Hebrews chapter 13, from verse 10 to 14. We see an interesting passage here that correlates to the movement of the ten virgins to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. From verse 10 of Hebrews 13, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered where? Outside the gates. Therefore, look at this scripture now. This is where this is our emphasis here. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. That is amazing. He calls it the camp in verse 13. In verse 14, he changes the language and calls it the city. The same way Jesus Christ went outside the gate of the city to die because Christ was crucified outside of Jerusalem. In the same way, the Bible says we are going forth. See that language again, going forth to him. The same way the ten virgins went forth to meet the bridegroom, the Bible says that we should go forth to meet Christ outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So you see, when the Bible tells you that the ten virgins went out to meet the bridegroom, it has deep implications. It is not just a stroll or a walk in the park. No, there is great significance and great personal sacrifice on the part of these ten virgins as they go out. They go out of the city to meet the Lord Jesus. Now, let's see what this means. What does it mean to go out of the city? Why does the Bible say we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come, the city that, that, that lives forever? If you go with me to the Hebrews chapter 11, we'll see how Moses is a perfect example of what it means to leave the city, to see Christ outside the city. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, from verse 24 to 27, it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, so this has to do with maturity, so when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction 
with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. For Moses' example, we want to see three things from what Moses does here to understand the ramifications of the sacrifice of these ten virgins. What is the implication of their joining out of the city to meet with the Christ? First thing we're going to see here is what the city signifies. What does it mean to leave the city? What is that city? Second thing is what it means to go out of the city. And third thing we're going to discuss here is what it means to join or to meet Christ outside of the city. These things will help us appreciate the significance of the ten virgins joining. Why do they go out to meet the Christ? Why do they go to meet the Lord Jesus Christ outside of the city? It's very important so that we know that, you know, when you read that scripture in the beginning, it looks like uh, words to, just complete, to, to lead us to the next point. No, it's not just filling in space. There's great significance to that phrase that they go out to meet the bridegroom. And we are seeing it has to do with living in the city. Now, I want to know what that city represents. What does the city represent? Why do we need to leave the city? First thing we see about the city is this. The Bible says that Moses, he refused to be recognized as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was Pharaoh's grandson by adoption. Remember the story that Pharaoh was sending people to kill Israelites in Egypt. And in God's mercy, he gave wisdom to the family of Moses. Miriam took his, uh, her brother, took him to the river Nile, and the daughter of Pharaoh found him and adopted him as son. That's how he became the grandson of Pharaoh, by adoption. And now, here is Moses. He's saying he doesn't want to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This has to do with social status. He was willing to forsake his social status for the sake of Christ. This is what it means to leave the city. These ten virgins were willing to forsake their social status. They did not care what people think, thought of them. Reputation did not mean anything to them. Whenever I think about reputation, I remember the story of uh, John Wesley. He began to preach the gospel in an unconventional way and it was considered irreputable in those days to preach outside of a cathedral. But he had to minister to people and he had lost the privilege of ministering in the cathedrals. So people came to him and told him, don't you care about your reputation? You're a decent gentleman. And all, all those words they use in swelling people's head to make them retreat from the due diligence that they have committed to God's work. I love the response John Wesley gave them. He said, when I gave my all to Christ, I did not withhold my reputation. This is the same story we're seeing here in Moses. This is the same principle we are seeing in the Ten Virgins. They all forsook their social status. They forsook their reputation just to pursue Christ, just to be with Jesus. So they went out of the city to embrace Christ, knowing that it might cost them their social status and it did not matter to them. This is the question here and I should ask ourselves today. How many of us 
are still holding on to our social status. I am the son of so-and-so. I am the daughter of so-and-so. My father invented this. My father discovered this. I come from this tribe. I come from this, this clan. I, I belong to this club. I belong to this church. I remember some time ago, there was this young lady who was just bragging about her church and like, she said, ah, we are the reigning church. And somebody replied that, ah, is it Champions League? <laughs> we are clouded by social status. We are clouded by reputation. We want to belong. We want to identify with the, the glamour of this world. Yeah, it might be church, and you might think that makes it spiritual. No. There's only one thing that makes a thing spiritual, Christ Jesus. If it's not Christ, it is not spiritual. So, what else do we see here? The Bible says Moses also forsook but the passing pleasures of sin. He let go of all of that. He did not care anymore about the passing pleasures of sin. The Bible says something interesting here, that sin has pleasure. Religion might try to tell, uh, preach to people and say there's no pleasure in sin. And that's the reason sinners don't find reason to repent because they know, they've tasted of the pleasures of sin. What we need to tell them is the truth. Yes, there is pleasure in sin, but it is temporal. They believe and they have lived in such a life where they have not felt any need to repent or to regret their sinful actions. So for them, life is without consequences. But we need to let them know that is an illusion. Life without consequences is an illusion. There is always a payday. There is always a payday. We need to let people know that. Moses discovered this and was willing to leave. So this is what the city represents, the pleasures of sin. The social status, the reputation. The third thing we see that characterizes the city is the treasures of Egypt, the treasures in Egypt. He was willing to leave the treasures of Egypt. Now, the treasures of Egypt does not have to do, has nothing to do with ill-gotten wealth. Everything ill-gotten is covered in the pleasures of sin. But here it's talking about legitimate wealth, legitimate opportunities. These are things that we need to consider in our journey our pursuit of Christ. What this means for us is this. It doesn't mean to become poor. It doesn't mean to throw away your wealth, to throw away your ambition just because you've met Christ. That's not what it means. What it means is that when there's a conflict of interest between your pursuit of God and your pursuit of gain, are you willing to sacrifice gain to gain Christ? Are you willing to let go of material possession to have Christ? as your all in all? That is the question. That is the challenge. This is what it means to forsake the city. We forsake the treasures of Egypt, the opportunities, the material possessions, the wealth. We are willing to sacrifice them. Now, the key thing here is willingness to sacrifice, which means when God calls on you to make the sacrifice, you are willing to make good on that sacrifice. I'll use Abraham as an example here. You remember Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, but at the end God told him not to do it anymore. When we go to the book of Hebrews, we find out something interesting that God, in God's own eyes, it was as good as done, simply because he was willing to do it. And that's the real test. The real test is, are you willing to give this up? In my humble opinion, I think when Jesus told the, 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 the rich young ruler to sell all he had, give to the poor and follow him. 
I believe if the man said he's willing to do it, I believe Christ would have told him not to. This is my humble opinion. What Christ wanted to see was how willing was he to let go of all things to follow Christ. That is what Christ is looking for in us. If we're willing to let these things go, if we're willing to make the sacrifice, then we are truly willing and ready to follow him. This is what the ten virgins were willing to do. They were willing to let go of all these things in pursuit of Christ. This begs the question, if both the foolish and the wise virgins were willing to do this, what then does it mean to be a foolish virgin? That is the million dollar question. We'll wrap it up here and continue in, the ne in our next podcast. We'll continue the departure from the city and then go into the next point to, to distinguish between the foolish virgins and the, f and the wise virgins. Thank you for listening in. God bless you.